0: Being in this sermon series, New Thing, uh, it, it reminds me of how much uh, I live with kind of that tension of enjoying new things, but then also not enjoying disruption. And I love regularity and what to expect. I think even this last week... Um, with our family's fight through, uh, through COVID and, and um, just being stuck at home and isolated. It reminded me how much I like routine and predictability. And, and yet um, the truth is, though, that on a, on a spiritual level, when we think and we pray for God to do a new thing in our life, we realize that we can't always know and expect what God is going to do or how God's going to do it, but that God is continually coming to us. And that we have to be ready and open to receive from God. And, and that means all of the challenges and twists and turns of life. And we know that God is faithful through it all. I heard this funny anecdote, or it's really a joke. But um, the question was, how do you teach a computer new things? How do you teach a computer new things? You know, it's not just programming and all of that. You know how you teach a computer new things? Bit by bit. Get it? Like computer bits? Bits and bytes? Okay. Anyway, I thought it was funny, and it just hit me as funny, but maybe that's just the state of where my my brain is this morning. But I wanted to say, again, as we start into this um, third week of our our sermon series, is just, first of all, reminding us that grounding scripture that we looked at in Isaiah 43, um, and, and remembering that in Isaiah 43, verses 18 and 19, it's this moment where God has spoken prophetically to the people of God and saying, look. Like, I've been faithful to you for generations. Look at all that I have done. And then God says these powerful words through the prophet Isaiah, but forget all of that. Like, erase the whiteboard, wipe it clean, and let's start over because um, God says, it is nothing, what I have done is nothing compared to what I am going to do. For I am about to do something new. See, I have already begun. Do you see it? do you not see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. And, and then he, he reminds them that it's through his faithfulness to them that this new thing is found, that this new thing is discovered. And so, you know, God is speaking to the people, and I believe God's speaking to us today and saying, look, I have been faithful. God says, I am faithful. And God is saying, I will continue to be faithful. And yet, as I'm doing a new thing, I want you to to just widen your understanding, open up the the possibilities in your mind of what I can do, what I will do, and what is actually happening right now. One of the things we talked about in the last few weeks was that um, in these pivotal verses, part of what's happening here is the understanding that the historical faithfulness of God was being overcome and even overshadowed by God's future faithfulness. God's faithfulness through the generations was being overcome by God's past faithfulness is being overcome by God's future faithfulness. And then what God was going to do through Christ Jesus. And then this last Sunday, if you were with us, you know, we talked about the um, twin parables of Jesus, the two teachings that he had together and talking about new wine and new wineskins and being ready for that. And then also new cloth, and how it has to be—it uh, has to be ready so that it doesn't um, stretch and, and and tear. And so in both of those, that reminder that as the people of God, we have to be ready to to receive and absorb God's new thing. That we have to be flexible. We have to be adaptable, because when we become rigid and inflexible, we will experience the tearing, we'll, we'll experience destruction, and we might even interrupt the new thing that God's desiring to do in ourselves or even desiring to do in others around us. And so as a church, you know, we're praying and believing that this will be like a, a season of, of readiness and, and response to what God's doing, that we would be, we'd be flexible and we'd be ready. I think the last couple of years have shown us that as a church, as people of faith, we need to be ready to respond that we can't get our feet so rigidly stuck to the ground in the place that we are that we can't we can't be ready for what God's leading us in and how God's taking us and then last week we closed out our service by reading the the verses from Joel this prophetic voice of Joel that in Joel that calls out in Joel chapter number 2 and and I said I pray that we would be a Joel chapter 2 church and Joel says this then after after doing all those things God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. And in those days, I will pour out my spirit on all people, men and women alike. That has been my prayer for Essence Place, that we would be in a place of of being ready to receive God's spirit that is being poured out. That There would be those prophetic visions and dreams of, of looking forward to what God's doing and hearing uh, from the Holy Spirit and in discerning the path of what God's doing. And that's been my prayer for you as a church. That's our, our prayer for us to collectively together. And so with all of that, we say, yes, Lord, we, your church, want to be ready. We want to be like new wineskins that are, that are ready to receive what you pour out instead of those old wineskins that are rigid and brittle and, and start to tear and break. We can do this together. There's a couple of things that I want to bring to us today as we again look at the story of Jesus. And, and there are some um, really earth-shattering moments that Jesus has with people where, you know, we if we look at the stories of Jesus in the Gospels and we see them as just the, the continued narrative of, of Jesus' life and how he was born and lived and died— We're seeing it from one vantage point, but sometimes it may help us to actually take the moments that people have with Jesus and see them from from the outside perspective of not just what Jesus was saying and teaching and trying to look at it through Jesus' eyes, but also seeing how would those around Jesus have received his message? What would it have been like for us to be standing there in, in, in the routines and the patterns of our day-to-day life and then have Jesus cut across our path? And, and, and what would it be like for us to be in one of those new thing moments with Jesus where he performs a miracle or he He speaks a word of knowledge and truth that's beyond you know, what anybody could even understand or comprehend, like, what would that be like for us? And so what I wanted to do as we continue in our New thing series this morning is look at, at three different moments where Jesus has these radical encounters with people and see how it speaks to the new thing that God does. So let's look at this together. If you're a sermon um, notes taker, then um, this will be easy for you to follow. But number one, God's new thing is more than enough. God's new thing, and maybe you want to put that in quotes, but the the new thing that God is doing is more than enough. We're going to look at an example in Jesus' life where it shows us that, but one of the greatest lies for us in this world is believing that we aren't enough, that we don't have enough, that things will never be enough. We've talked about this before at Essence Place, but when we live in that mentality and we live with that mindset, we're living with this tight grip of scarcity and it's really a place where the enemy of our souls the accuser can come in and 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 keep us paralyzed from being willing and ready to move into God's new thing if we live with that that mentality of, of scarcity, with that lie of scarcity, then not only does it keep us, us paralyzed from being able to step into and trust what God is doing, it can actually move us to a place where we become addicted to trying to, to get more, do more, be more, feel more. We, we are feel better, and, and we're kind of in this place where we constantly feel just discontent, like that, that, that life is not enough, I'm not enough. God, maybe you're not even enough. I just, more, more, more. And so what I want us to see today as we look at this first example of Jesus is that when God is doing a new thing, it is more than enough. Jesus had this ability to powerfully reveal to his followers the abundance of God, that the abundance of God was flowing through him, Christ Jesus, and that in that place of abundance, it gives the ability for fear to subside, and to come into a place of closeness and trust that God was moving. Let's look at this together in John chapter number 6. John chapter number 6, and I'm, I'm going to kind of move through these verses fairly quickly and then bring out the, a couple of points for us to reflect on, reflect on. But in John chapter number 6, Scripture says this starting in verse number 2. A huge crowd kept following Jesus wherever he went because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. Then Jesus climbed a hill and sat down with his disciples around him. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. Turning to Philip, that's one of his disciples, Jesus asked, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? He was testing Philip, for he already knew what he was going to do. Philip replies, even if we worked for months We wouldn't have enough money to feed them. Verse number eight, then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. But there's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. But what good is that with this huge crowd? Then Jesus responds and says, tell everyone to sit down. So they sat down on the grassy slopes. The men alone numbered about 5,000. Then Jesus took the loaves and gave thanks to God and distributed them to the people. Afterward, he did the same with the fish. And as they all ate, they ate as much as they wanted. After everyone was full, Jesus told his disciples, now go gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they picked up the pieces and filled the 12 baskets with scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves and fish. Now here's the thing about this miracle, Jesus feeding the 5,000. This miracle, this moment of Jesus taking this and multiplying and feeding the people is a miracle that is in all four Gospels. There's very few that are, um, of the Gospels that, that are, um, have identical moments, but this is one of them. And so I, what I love about this is that it really says something about the deeper current of God's power that was flowing through Jesus' story. That this moment of Jesus being able to feed the multitudes spoke so powerfully to Jesus' followers and those that were, that were recording the stories of Jesus that would become our scriptures, that become the gospels, that they said, you know what, this moment, this is a moment that we have to remember. This is a moment where something so miraculous happened, that new thing that God was doing through Christ Jesus, that we have to write it down. And so as we see here, you know, the people, they had been stirred by Jesus' presence. They had heard the stories about who Jesus was. They had seen that Jesus was doing miracles. And so seeking to hear more and and see more and learn more of what was being revealed of God's kingdom through Jesus, they start to gather. You know, word spreads and they start to show up and it was drawing close to to Passover. And so it's this sacred moment for for the people of God where there must have been not just the, the physical hunger in their body, but a spiritual hunger to see what God was doing, to see what was happening. And what we find so amazing about Jesus is Jesus never wastes a moment to teach and challenge his followers. Now, what I love about this story and one of the things I want us to see this morning is that The scriptures make a point of of showing how Jesus looks and he he sees the multitude. You know, scripture says 5,000 men. So that means women and children. You can just imagine the number of people that are gathered there. And Jesus looks at all of them and he asks his disciples, um, specifically Philip, and he says, what are we going to do to feed all these people? What are we going to do to feed all these people? And I will tell you that when I hear that question, as I read it in the scriptures and I hear that question, like I, I start to feel my pulse kind of increase a little bit. You know, maybe it's the pastor in me that is, you know, one that that leads groups of people or helps organize events or or moments when, you know, okay, we've, we're going to have an event and we need some food. How do we know that we have enough food to feed all the people? But it, it's kind of it brings up this anxious feeling. That I And Jesus, he looks at his followers and he says, what? What are we going to do to feed all of them? And now again, like, I, you know, this is is the way my mind works. But, you know, the scriptures say um, he already knew what he was going to do. In verse number six, it says he was testing Philip as he asked the question, for Jesus already knew what he was going to do. And then I love Philip's anxious response, because this probably would be my response too. He says, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed all of them. Like he's looking at Jesus and going, wait a minute, you want us to feed all of them? And and even, I mean, if we worked and we did, and he's like trying to do the numbers and said, we couldn't feed all of them. And and I and again, the scriptures don't tell us this. This is just my my humor. But I sometimes wonder if Jesus had like a certain little, like a wink or a smile, a little grin, like his tail that was like, okay, something's about to happen. Because he already knew the miracle that he was going to do. But he was Maybe he was wanting to stir his disciples up a little bit, make them feel a little anxious. Maybe it was humorous to Jesus. I don't know, but I love the fact that Jesus already knew how he would feed the people. And yet what he does is he brings his disciples close and he says, look around you, look around you. There's a need here. Do you see it? Can you you feel it? There's a need here. What, What are we going to do? And immediately the disciples, even though they were walking with Jesus, they go, wait a minute we, the disciples, have to do something. I have to do something. What am I going to do? If I work for months, I couldn't feed them all. All the while forgetting that Jesus, the one who has been healing the sick, that is bringing the dead back to life, the one who's been proclaiming that God is here and now and it is among us, that is with us, like he had been proclaiming it and yet they miss it, right? Because the scarcity mindset within them that goes, well, even what we have is not enough. And so you know, I I feel like, and there's been a lot of you know theological study on, on this miracle of Jesus feeding the multitudes, and and like I said, it's in all the gospels, and and some people really get deep into the symbolism. Okay, the bread, and it was barley bread, and that represents this, and there was a number of five, and then there was fish, and there were two, and like trying to like bring these really deep observations about the bread and the fish and the miracle and the multiplying and all of it. But I I think if we get too focused on the miracle of multiplying the food, we actually miss out on what was really happening at a deeper level underneath. I mean, don't get me wrong, like that miracle alone of being able to take so little and to multiply it and feed so many, I mean, that alone is incredible. But remember, like Jesus was saying, the scriptures say that Jesus already knew what he was going to do. Jesus already knew that there would be bread and fish and that the people would eat. And and so, you know, could it be that this moment, as good as Jesus feeding all the people was, really wasn't about Jesus feeding all the people? Because it seems like when God is working in a new thing moment, what's really being revealed is the depth to which God is abundantly working in us, in our world, that God's desiring to work through us. I mean, think about it this way, you know, powerfully, Jesus wasn't just feeding the people who would need more food in just a few hours. Okay, so everybody got to have a bread and fish lunch. That's, that's cool. Well, guess what? Their bodies are going to be hungry again soon. As they start to walk home, they're going to be hungry. They're going to be thirsty. But in this moment of Jesus working a miracle, in the abundance of what God does in that miracle, it really wasn't so much about multiplying fish and bread. It was about the transformation that was happening in Jesus' followers. Jesus looking at them and saying, don't you believe? Don't you see? I am enough. I am enough. God is enough. It's like in this new thing moment, what Jesus was revealing was the worried scarcity nature that was in his disciples' hearts. Philip gets named and he gets kind of called out and brought into it. But it's kind of like Jesus, again, in that teaching sort of way of saying, if you're going to be able to be that that new wineskin or or that that new cloth, like we have to deal with something. If you're going to be rigid and stuck in that, that fearful scarcity mindset of like, it's just not going to be enough, God. We, we got to uproot that or you are not going to be ready to be my follower and for what comes next and what comes next and what comes after that. We have to deal with this not enough mindset. We have to remember that when God is doing a new thing, we surrender any doubt that God's new thing is going to be more than enough. See, throughout God's new thing moments, we are challenged in the same way to enlarge our perspective to get a new, fresh vision, kind of that that God vision about our circumstances, about our situations, about what God is doing in our world, and to see what God's doing. You know, he said it in the voice of Isaiah, like, can't you see it? Can't you see what I am doing? I am making a path. I am making a way in the wilderness, the wilderness dry and dead, and yet I am making a path, and my path, my way through provides sustaining provides resourcing even so much so that he he reminds them in isaiah that the that the birds come and are able to receive and eat and feed so in this moment with jesus we first see that the new thing that god is doing is more than enough but let's look at another example of jesus i think jesus challenges us with this thought that god's new thing challenges us to participate god's new thing moments challenge us to participate. Here's another story of Jesus, another moment of Jesus and Jesus' ministry. This comes from John chapter number four. It's probably a familiar story, but it's Jesus' encounter with the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. And, and you know, as Jesus has this encounter, we're going to read a few of the verses in just a moment. Jesus has this encounter with the woman at the well. You know, we they have this conversation about water in the well or living water, and we see that she's curious. But in this moment, what happens is there's this overcoming of all, all of these different barriers that would have been in place, not the physical barriers, the fence keeping them out, but the, the, the cultural barriers that existed, even barriers of shame or maybe barriers of her own busyness. And in this moment, as, as this woman encounters Jesus, uh, what happens is that she overcomes all those barriers but then what? there's this, this trust, this faith that rises up in her to tell others about what Jesus is saying and doing. And so we see in John chapter number four, verses one through 30, and again, I'm, I'm not going to read all of them for the sake of time. I'm going to try to paraphrase some, but Jesus had been traveling um, in ministry, and as he's venturing through the countryside, he comes to a place where he has to travel through the land of Samaria. And, and then in verse number six, the scripture says that Jacob's well was there, and and Jesus, being tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime, so middle of the day, heat of the day. In verse number seven, soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. Notice that. Jesus is there. The woman comes to draw water, and he asked her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone to the village to buy some food. Verse number nine, the woman was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. So in her mind, Jesus wouldn't want anything to do with her. And so she says to Jesus, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? It's like naming the obvious. She's like, you're you, I'm me. Why are you talking to me? Why are you asking me for this? And then Jesus replies, if you only knew the gift God has for you, you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to. You would ask me, Jesus, and I would give you living water. I mean, talk about just a radical flip. She shows up to get well, the busiest part of, the, or at the well to get water at the busiest part of the day. And there's a man there and he says, hey, how about something to drink? And she can quickly realize he's a Jew and he's talking to her. And she's like, why are you asking me this? And then immediately he says, but yeah, if you knew who I was, you would be asking for living water. Then she responds, but sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket and, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? Still thinking so practically. And besides, do you even think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob. Remember, it was Jacob's well. who gave It's Jacob who gave us this well. How can you offer better water than he and his sons and animals enjoyed? Just so stuck in tradition and, and stuck in, in kind of just the, the mundane process of life. She's missing it all together. Then Jesus replies, and here's the new thing moment as Jesus speaks life to her. He says, Anyone who drinks this living water will soon or drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. You can drink this normal water and and, and you'll be thirsty again. Or like in that miracle of multiplying food, you know, with fish and, and bread, you're gonna be hungry again. But then he says, guess what? Look. Through me, there is a living water that will become a refreshing, bubbling spring within you, that Holy Spirit overflowing, and it will give you eternal life. And then she responds and says, please, sir, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again. Then I'll never have to come here and get water. And she's still stuck in just the practical nature of it, of great. Then I don't have to make trips to the well in the middle of the day when it's hot and trying to to get water. But then what starts to happen is this conversation between her and Jesus about worship and and, and true worship and and the the religious um, dynamics that were set up of who's in and who's out and who worships in different places. But then Jesus comes to this place in verse 23 where he says, but the time is coming and indeed it's here now. Think about that. A new thing. A new thing is coming and indeed it's already here now. Can you see it? Can you hear it? When true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. This is a new thing moment again. The Father is looking for those who will worship him in that way. The, for God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And the woman responds out of what she's learned and what she's believed to be true and what she's hoped has been true. And she says, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. He already is, and she's still missing it. And then finally, Jesus looks at her and he says, I am the Messiah. I'm explaining it to you here and now. You've believed it. You've hoped for it to be true in your heart. Look and see, I am here. I'm in front of you. I am the Messiah. And then after this powerful moment where it's this this revelation, new thing moment, the disciples come back and they're confused, like, wait a minute, why is Jesus talking to this woman? But as scripture says, none of them had the nerve to ask, so what do you want with her? Like, why are you talking to her? But then in verse 28, it says, the woman left her water jar beside the well. I don't need it. And she ran back to the village, telling everyone, come and see Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? Could he possibly be the Messiah? And so the people came streaming from the village to see him. I love this story from the life of Jesus. There's so many powerful aspects in these verses. We could spend a lot of time but there's challenge in it. There's there's this revealing and revelation. There's conviction in it. There's they're speaking words of truth. But in all of it, I I would just want to narrow this story down to to this aspect for us, and then we'll move to our third story. It's in this moment where Jesus is doing a new thing that it plays out this way. Jesus asks her for water. She challenges him. He says, "It's okay. I have better water. If you would just ask me for it." So. She asks him for the living water. Then Jesus begins to pour out the living water for her. And she still is just overwhelmed by what's happening. Old wineskins, new wineskins, right? Like she can't even completely understand. But then as God's love continues to be poured out through her, or to her through the Messiah, she comes to this place of being filled to overflowing. And as she's filled to overflowing, then she says, I've got to do something with this. And she runs back to the village And begins probably what seems like a very crazy person, like out of her mind saying, you have to see, you have to hear, come meet the one who has introduced me to living water. What's living water? I don't even understand it, but you're going to understand it. Just come and see him, come and meet him, come see what he's doing. And I think the challenge for us is for us to come to a place of understanding that God's new thing, when it comes to us, it comes to us in unexpected ways. It comes in such unexpected ways, and yet God is joyfully and, yes, mysteriously working. That God is pouring out this new thing, living water, or new wine. In all those images, it still falls short of capturing the fullness of what God's doing. But yet, if we're stuck in going through our normal day-to-day life routines, just trying to get things done and be responsible and prove we can keep it all together, we're going to miss out on what God is doing miss out on what God's saying. And so in this this moment of Jesus' radical encounter with this woman, it's it's God's new thing moment where God's doing a new thing and he is saying, if you would just ask me, I'll pour it out. If you would just participate, it will happen. If you would just respond, the new thing moments want to see us engaged and respond and participate and say, yes, I want it. That's the invitation for us in God's new thing moments where where Jesus looks at us and says, hey, if you want it, it's yours. Won't I do it? Will you trust me? Will you believe it? You have to participate in it. Even for this woman, I I love it that at first, her first response is like, living water? Sounds like that. Never need water again? Great. I can permanently just scratch something off my to-do list and I won't ever have to do that again. It's like she misses the, the again, the, the depth of what Jesus is saying at first. And I think that's kind of what happens for us, where God is doing a new thing and he's asking, Can you see it? Can you feel it? And yet, because we're not ready to even participate and receive in receiving it yet, it, it's starting to pass us by. And then we see that Jesus, kind of in this divine moment of, you know, divine entrapment, he kind of he captures her and he goes, Well, wait a minute. You understand this, but I'm that. You're this, but I'm saying it could be like this. And you're saying, you know, people worship here and there and where. And I'm saying, no, true worshipers worship in spirit and truth. He, he, he starts bringing her into a deeper place of understanding what living water does and the freedom that it brings. And yet from that moment, she is still invited to participate. She's invited to be part of what the new thing is that God's doing I think for us, we're in that same place where we have to engage. We have to engage. We have to participate. We have to dive in and ask. We have to receive. We have to be ready to be part of what God is doing. I think it is for us coming to a place of full honesty, trying to understand, are are we really ready to live in a participatory way with God? Will we allow ourselves to be challenged by the fact that all of life flows from God, and when a new thing is happening, it's God's, and we are challenged to participate. We're challenged to step in. You know, there's a temptation for us sometimes, especially as, as God's doing a new thing, to sort of to sit back. Sit back and watch and kind of see how things unfold and, and to see how it's going to play out. And then maybe we can decide if, if we're going to participate, if we're going to step in. And if it seems all good and things are going well, well, then guess what? I'm in. And yet I think God is, is saying to us, you know, there will always be numerous reasons to not participate, to not respond to the challenge, to, to participate and to step in. There will always be reasons. But Jesus is saying, do you want some living water? If you want some living water, you got to show up. If you want to never be thirsty again, well, then you got to be ready to draw from that well of Christ Jesus. He asked her, can I have something to drink? She responds and says, I don't know if I should be talking to you. I don't know what it means. And then he goes, but if you really knew who I was, you'd be asking me for some living water. Challenge you today. And I think this is this is probably true for us here at Essence Place, of being in a place where we can keep showing up to the well. We can keep filling our jars week after week, and then we go home. And then we come back to the well and we fill it again. And it's Jacob's well. It's it's ancestral well. It's good water. It it fed Jacob and his children and, and the animals. Like it's it was good. It's good. And we can we can keep drawing and filling those wells. But all the while Jesus is sitting here saying, Look. You can keep doing that or you can come and draw from the source of the living water, water that never runs dry, water that that is like worship that's in spirit and truth and it's not contained in a place or, or a certain shape or size or thing, but it's actually overflowing its bounds. Are you ready? You have to participate. You have to get in because when God's doing a new thing, we realize that it's more than enough, but God's new thing is a challenge for us to participate. And for some of us, it may be participating in God's new thing in ways that we have never done before. Or maybe in ways of of participating in God's new thing that really seems like a huge step of faith that's beyond us. That I I, I could never do that. And all the while, Jesus is smiling and he's looking at us and going, I already know what I want to do. I already know the miracle that's going to unfold. I already know the, the source of the living water that you're thirsting for. Just say yes. Just respond. Just step in and be ready to receive from me. Let's look at this lastly before we wrap up our sermon this morning. God's new thing is more than enough. God's new thing challenges us to participate. But then in our third encounter with Jesus, we're going to see this morning, God's new thing will cost us something. God's new thing will cost us something. In Matthew 19, there's this encounter, conversation that Jesus has with a young man. Scripture calls him a young man, and in some translations call him a rich young ruler. I don't even know what that could mean, other than we know that he had a lot. But he shows up to Jesus, and he has some really deep, serious questions that he's asking of Jesus. Look at this in Matthew chapter number 19, verses 16 through 26. And again, I'm going to try to move quickly through these verses. But this man comes to Jesus and and he's got this question, teacher, he calls them, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? In the Jewish faith, in Jewish tradition, there was still an understanding of eternal life and and a life beyond this life. And and so he's asking Jesus, like, what do I need to do? And, and, And Jesus, being Jesus, he responds and he says, why ask me about what is good, what good deed? There is only one who is good. But to answer your question, and Jesus points him to the scriptures, if you want to receive eternal life, keep the commandments. That's the the laws, the Jewish laws, the Jewish practices. And then the man responds and says, which ones? And Jesus replies, you must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. Honor your mother, your father and mother. Love your neighbor as yourself. And he's, you know, again, like the Ten Commandments, we know them, we're familiar. He's like, so do these things. And then the young man responds and says, I've obeyed all these commands. What else must I do? Something of the spirit of God had pricked something in his heart. And he's saying, there's got to be something else. There's got to be something more, Jesus, than just just keeping all these rules. And then Jesus, and I think out of a moment of kindness, but with a very serious challenge, says to him, verse 21, if you want to be perfect, Which in in the the Jewish understanding of that and in the original Greek, that's the idea of of being mature or or complete or whole. Like if you really want to grow up and you want to be whole and complete in faith, Jesus says this. Go and sell all your possessions. Give the money to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Verse 22. But when the young man heard this, he went away sad, for he had many possessions. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. I'll say it again, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astounded. Then who in the world can be saved, they asked. Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it's impossible. But with God, everything is possible. As we read this story, we realize that once again, Jesus is challenging some, some mental concepts and constructs and, and religious practices that have been in place for a very long time. And, and, and we see in this, you know, he's again, he's challenging that mentality of scarcity. And, and Jesus is, you know, it's like he's saying once again, not only can I provide like multiplying loaves of bread and fish, I'm challenging you to be willing to surrender it all. And so he looks at this young man who, you know, the scriptures say was, was very wealthy. And he tells him, okay, you understand the law and you, you, you want eternal life and you want a good thing by following all of the rules. And yet the young man wasn't satisfied with that. He goes, but there's still, there must be more. How do you say that I can have that eternal life? How do you say that I can have the fullness of it? And Jesus goes, okay, so you want to be mature? You want to be whole and complete in God? You you want to be lacking in nothing? Well, guess what? You actually have to go and sell all that you have. Give it all away, all the things that you've depended on, all the things that have, that have propped you up, all the things that have isolated you and insulated you, and it made you feel comfortable in this life. Surrender it all, and when you do, then you'll have a treasure that's beyond this world. When you do, then you can come and follow me. Sadly, and, and this has challenged my heart so many times, scripture says in the young man when he hears it, he goes away sad because he realizes how much he's been holding on to that he would have to let go. How much he would have to surrender. I think in this moment, as Jesus says this, what he's saying is, you know, <laughs> you have all of this that you feel as though you possess. Possessed. All of it that, that, that you that you're holding on to, and Jesus is saying, I need you to surrender all of that. Surrender all the things, not just you know what what you know you, you don't possess or feel like you don't have, but actually you need to surrender even the things that you feel are rightfully yours, the things that you have to hold on to, and that you must move into a, a deeper way of living and trusting and dependency on God. As we move in this this place, we realize that you know, God loves imperfect things. God's the only one who's perfect, but but God loves imperfect things. He loves us and our imperfections and, and our incompleteness. And, and as Jesus responds to the young man, and he says, if you want to be perfect, he's not saying if you want to be like without air, you know, perfect in our mentality. He's saying if you want to be mature, if you want to be living in full faith, here's how You can experience that. If you want to move deeper into the waters of God's new things, it means being willing to put it all on the line and to surrender to God's work. Now, this is a moment where it really challenges our thinking and our human conditioned responses. Because the young man comes to Jesus and he says, how much, how much, like what, what, how much of the law do I need to follow just tell me precisely how much. Like, I want to do it. I want to get this down right. I want to do exactly right. Not too much, not too little. Tell me exactly what I need to do so that I can have eternal life. And then Jesus responds and he goes, okay, well, you already know the law. You're following it. You got it. Okay. But to truly be mature, Jesus says, you have to stop asking how much is enough? How much is enough for me to get there. How much do it, you know, I, I, I want to give, but I don't want to give too much. I, I want to I follow, but I don't want to follow too much. I want it to, you know, I, I'm willing to pay a little bit of the cost, but I don't, I don't want to go all the way. And Jesus challenges it and says, no, you got to give it all. You've got to surrender it all. You've got to say yes to releasing all of it. To, to participate in the new thing that God's doing means that it will cost us something. It may not mean God looking at us and saying, okay, literally go sell your house, your car, all of your possessions, and give it all to the poor, and then, you know, just live a life of, of poverty, and then, you know, you'll be able to follow me. It's not about being over-literal in that way. If anything, it's about revealing the condition and the attitude of our heart and saying, are we willing to give it all away? When Jesus speaks, when God's new thing is happening, when, when there's something that's a move of God and, and, and we're being asked and challenged to participate, are we willing to say yes and realize it will cost? And we're not gonna look back at God and say, well, just, just can you itemize it for me and tell me just, just how much? Jesus is saying, go all in. Go all in with me in the new thing that is unfolding, the new thing that is happening here. And I think even in this moment, and then I'm, I'm going to start to wrap it up here, is there's a challenge to even, um, you know, the parents that are are watching this today. You have kids and maybe younger kids, and they're, they're still growing, and, and they're trying to understand who they are and understand the world. Realize this in this story. The scripture calls this a young man. And in the ancient world, there were no young men who became wealthy in and of themselves. Nobody was pulling themselves up by their own bootstraps and and becoming independently wealthy. For a young man to be wealthy in this way, and for a young man to have a depth of understanding of the law and how to follow the law, means that he was raised in a home and in a family unit that had afforded him a lot that had given him wealth, that had given him understanding, had given him education, had given him status. This young man didn't just, you know, find this out on his own, but it had been handed to him and he had been brought up in it. He had been enculturated in it. And so I think the word of warning to us as parents is the the fact that the way that we respond to the new thing that God's doing will shape the faith of our children. If we are teaching them one thing by bringing them to church or, or trying to say, well, we do this or do that or read this book or make sure you, you, know, you have a Bible. And, and, and we're doing a, a few things. Okay, maybe that's, that's good and it's laying a foundation. But as we can see in this young man's encounter with Jesus, when he's really challenged, are you ready to go all in? Are you ready to release all of those things that feel as though they've been just a given in your life that have been the support and been the very foundation of your life? He walks away sad. He walks away confused and overwhelmed and saying, but I have so much and you want me to release it all? So I think for us as parents, we're in this place where we have to be challenged by the responsibility to help our children's, children shape their understanding of who God is and, and what it means to trust God and the new things that God is doing. And, you know, it's, it's, it's true that our steps of obedience will be formative to our children, especially if we're humble and vulnerable and willing to bring them into the process to allow the, the, the next generation to receive from what we're being challenged in in our faith, to allow them to see us working through and, and trying to understand and, and, and trust what God is doing. And that's one of the things I love about Essence Place is we have generations represented, youngest to oldest, and there's an opportunity for us to learn from one another. And so as, we, as I begin to wrap this up this morning, what I want us to understand is that as God is doing new things, we realize that it's more enough, more than enough. We don't have to be scarce in our, in our mindset and holding on to the things that, that we feel like we, we possess or the things that we don't have and that it's not enough. We realize that God's new thing challenges us to participate and that God's new thing will cost us something. And the something that it costs us, it's everything. It's that willingness to say, yes, Lord. Matthew 19, 26, Jesus looked at his followers after this, this moment with the rich young ruler, and he goes away sad, and Jesus says all of it. And he looks at his disciples, and he says, humanly speaking, all of that is impossible. From a human perspective, from a human mindset, it's impossible. But with God, everything is possible. With God, everything is possible. And so what I want to do for us this morning is I want us to to come to a point of of just responding to to Jesus and what Jesus is saying to us this morning. You know, there are um there are some places where I think we could uh, um we could really challenge ourselves to think through what God is speaking and and I want to give you a couple of questions. Number one, am I allowing God's new thing to break the cycle of scarcity in my mind and in my life? Am I allowing God's new thing to break the cycle of scarcity in my life? Maybe take that question this week and just pray through that. Here's another question for you to prayerfully ask God. As God challenges me to participate in the new thing, where do I need to take a step of faith or a step of obedience today? Today, right now, the study of the mind tells us that when we encounter new information or we're challenged by a new thought or, or, or something, something new, we have about 24 to 48 hours to do something with it or most likely we'll forget it. <laughs> so let's think about this today as you begin to pray and as, you, as you're listening to what God is saying and God's challenging you to participate in a new thing. Where do I need to take a step of obedience today? Where do I need to take a step of faith today? And then finally asking yourself, what is Jesus asking me to release, to embrace God's new thing? What is God asking me to surrender to embrace God's new thing? Spend some time with that question. Allow God to speak to you and and to open your heart to, to what God may be saying or what God may be doing. We need to realize that there's a depth of work that that God is desiring to do in us as a church, and we have an opportunity to respond. Let me pray for you now. God, you are so good. You are so faithful. God, I thank you for all that you are doing in our church, and I pray, Lord, that in this new thing season, God, that you would bring us to places of just new, um, new faith, new faith that's like new wineskins that's ready to be shaped and stretched and molded. I pray, God, that you would help us to to move beyond just seeking you for miraculous moments, but to allow you to transform our lives, not just multiplying fish and and bread, but, God, that you would bring us into a place of seeing that you are abundant and more than enough. I pray, God, that you would help us to to respond to that challenge to participate, God, that you would give us the strength to do it, that you would give us the, the insight to respond and say, yes, Lord maybe if we don't even see all of the steps that that's unfolding and the new thing that you were doing God will still be willing to have great faith and say yes Lord you are the Messiah Jesus and I have got to tell people about it I have to respond I have to participate and God I pray that you would help us to be willing to pay the cost be willing to surrender at all to be willing to to release the things that we hold tightly to and trust God that you are are more than enough. God, I thank you so much for what you are doing in our church. I pray, Lord, for every person watching this live stream today and and listening to this sermon, Lord, that you would just continue to help grow them in their faith. I pray, Lord, that you would guard and protect your church as we desperately seek for you to be our guide, for you to be our direction. Lord, we fix our eyes on you and nowhere else. God, in all of this, we know that you are faithful. And so we say, yes, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.